This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. And uh, what a day this is because we're broadcasting live from the NASTA annual meeting in beautiful Puerto Rico. Balmy weather, great, great uh, sunshine. It's great. Now, you can find all the Ringler Radio shows on our website, ringlerassociates.com, or the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Today, we want to talk about SSI, Supplemental Security Income, and CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the ongoing developments with regard to structured settlements. And this is an issue that NASTA has been keenly involved in. And since it's a complicated one, uh, we have some top experts on the show to help us today, and we're going to need them. Uh, You know, we've had a recent show on this topic, and some of you who are avid listeners will recognize that. But guess what? This subject is so fluid that we've had some new developments, and we thought it would be good to uh, revisit the, uh, the issue. Helping us do this and helping me co-host the show today is my colleague at Ringler, Tom Murray. Tom is an associate in the New York office, and he has over 36 years of structured settlement and claims experience. And really, uh, within Ringler, Tom's a subject matter expert on this topic. And Tom, welcome, and welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. It's wonderful to be here in Puerto Rico, and hopefully we can get out there this afternoon and maybe hit that round ball uh, a little bit. Boy, nothing would uh, make me happier than that. Well, we have a lot of uh, issues that we're going to talk about uh, today, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Deficit Reduction Act of 2005, how that's taking effect, uh, second-payer issues, uh, new thresholds for workers' comp approvals. We have a lot of things to talk about, but we do have three guests here that uh, I want to introduce to our audience to help us uh, guide us through these uh, developments. First, we have Attorney Jay Sangerman of Jay Sangerman PLLC in New York. He practices in the area of trust, supplemental needs trust, and estates, and elder law. Jay is a valued consultant to personal injury attorneys and uh, really aids in the settlement process with the use of supplemental needs trusts, uh, Medicare set-asides, etc. He speaks extensively on estate planning, elder law, and planning for disabled adults and children. And, uh, boy, that's a lot on your plate there, Jay, but thank you. Thank you, you Larry. And also with us today is uh, Attorney Patty Sitchler from uh, the firm of Schoenbaum, Surfy, and Scanlon out of San Antonio, Texas. And Patty was instrumental in working with Jay and getting some issues resolved for us at the beginning of the year. And it's just wonderful to have you both with us today. Thanks very much. Well, good to have you here, Patty. And, uh, you know, joining us uh, uh, initially by phone was to be Ray Blanchfield, but uh, he's on a train, unfortunately, and he went through a tunnel, and we've, uh, we've never heard from him again. He's kind of like Charlie on the MTA. So we'll have to leave that to another time, but uh, Ray, you're here in spirit. And Ray is going to be a pivotal component of our Go Forward program, uh, getting to CMS with some specific issues to get some guidance and direction on how we're using special needs trust and how we're using the Medicare set-aside funding mechanism. And uh, just for the record, Ray's an assistant vice president with American Reinsurance, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll hear from him later in the program. But anyway, let's start with the latest development. Uh, CMS's revision of the low dollar threshold for Medicare benefits and workers' comp. Uh, you know, uh, 
it's new, it's different. Uh, Jay, let's start with that. What is the new threshold, and what effect will that have? I don't think it has an effect. It's a threshold of what they'll review, but CMS takes the position that whether they review it or not, a Medicare set-aside is required if there's going to be future-related medical needs that Medicare otherwise would pay for. So it's a review threshold, not a requirement threshold. Mm -hmm. So if we go back to the 2001 memo that had a larger review threshold versus the new one that's, I think, ten or 15,000 now, it's not a lack of requirement. It's a lack of their time and staff to review it. Mm -hmm. But in my conversations with the CMS program people, they continually tell me it's nothing but a review issue, not the issue of whether or not it's required. Okay, very good. Well, I don't know if we've ever had a specific requirement come down from them, but the concern that I'm, I'm hearing from other brokers in the community is that with the threshold now being established at $25,000, a combination of indemnity and medical to get to the review process, that it's going to further clog the system and delay disposition of cases with allocations coming back. Unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, Patty, you have a story to tell us about what happened in Texas, and uh, I know some of us know that. It's a very interesting story. Why don't you tell us about it? We had an issue in Texas where we had children getting personal injury awards. And these uh, the parents have an obligation to support in Texas. And in order to do this, we don't want those children's funds there just sitting uh, with nothing to do. So what we would do is we would want to start the structure at age 18. What was happening, though, is the state of Texas was saying, well, if you fund a structure beginning at age 18, we're not going to allow those children to continue eligibility for Medicaid. And so what happened was is we, uh, I contacted John, and there were a number of issues going on at the same time. Mm. We had Jay Sangerman's letter that would clarify issues for us. We started a dialogue with the state general counsel, and we were able to resolve issues outside of a legislative uh, requirement. Just by talking to the, to the general counsel, uh, we were able to start funding now those trusts on a case-by-case -case basis. You'll go in and send in a, a letter of request. Will this be something that we can uh, do? We give the terms of the structure. It begins at age 18. It meets all the other Texas requirements. And we're getting clearance letters from our general counsel and able to represent our, our clients in a better method rather than having those structures start immediately mm -hmm. uh, at age three. It, it would it wouldn't be reasonable to do that. And do you find that this was just an education process it that was, they the bar had to be educated as to what the structure annuity can do? That's right. It was it was just an education process, uh, but uh, what was happening though is we had people from outside of the United uh, out of outside of Texas, the Republic of Texas. Some people <laughs> say that's outside the United States. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's uh, talking to our general counsel. And it, our general counsel was listening, but just didn't have that comfort level. But because uh, it, uh, John enlisted local attorneys through the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, our uh, organization in Texas, and through other attorneys to talk to our assistant general counsel, we were able to 
work through these issues, and it, it actually was resolved fairly quickly and in a very reasonable manner. And now we were able to start writing those structures. I will say that uh, it's, uh, everything is not wonderful in Texas because the wonderful general counsel we were dealing with, Michael Garbarino, uh, subsequently in March took another job at another agency. And so now we're having to re-educate and, and go through that process. But I have no doubt that because we have this collaboration between the structured settlement uh, group and between the attorneys, we'll have the ability to uh, educate these people. Well, there's no question education is an ongoing, never-ending process. People are going to leave jobs, come in, new, new people with, with you know, differing attitudes and, and really needs to be educated. Tom, you've dealt with these issues for a long time. What do you think is the system uh, getting more complicated or not? Well, having, having dealt with it from uh, the claim side of it, as I sat on a line desk for uh, Liberty and uh, Home Insurance Company, one of the key issues when you're settling the case is a reserve transaction, taking a reserve from reserve dollars back into surplus. The delay in getting cases approved at the CMS level and at the board level is holding up that process. So carriers are now trying to settle the case, maintaining an ongoing reserve, but since they're paying off the claim file, their costs are going up rather than going down. So there's now becoming somewhat of a reluctance on the part of the P&C industry to settle workers' compensation cases. So all of the tools that we can put together to get before CMS and get a clear level playing field is what we're trying to accomplish. And we have to do that or else the system is just going to clog itself up where it won't work anymore. Well, what, uh, Jay, what are, what are the plaintiffs getting out of all this? Are they losing something in this system as it is today, or are, are they gaining? Where are the plaintiffs? I think there's two issues. One issue is a lot of, if we're talking about the Medicare now, mm -hmm. not the Medicaid, on the Medicare side, unfortunately, a lot of plaintiff attorneys do not understand that there has to be, certainly in a workers' comp situation, and maybe a liability situation, uh, a Medicare set-aside. And that, in itself, is one of the, I think, very large educational pieces. It's a huge issue, absolutely. Number one. Number two, that that Medicare set-aside can be funded through a structured settlement so long as you have enough seed money to cover the early costs, Medicare-type costs. Um, is it causing a delay? Some attorneys are looking the other way, unfortunately and probably become liable to their clients. Otherwise, it's causing a huge delay. What CMS has told me is to get your materials in early. They've even told me, notwithstanding what it says on their website, uh, to let them know once there's a settlement, to let them know early on. Get your package together. Get your uh, complaint together. Get your life care plan together. Get your bill of particulars. You have a bill of particulars together. You, you know what's very interesting is uh, I just had a case, and we all can talk about the stories we've had, but I've had a, I had a case where the case was almost settled, and the plaintiff attorney finally had this uh, you know, eureka moment where they recognized the need for the Medicare set-aside, wanted the defendant insurance carrier to, to put more money in the case to help take care of that, and there was a balking at that, and it became a very contentious issue. And I think if it was known a lot earlier in the case and recognized a lot earlier, a lot of these issues would go away. People just need to know more, as Patty said, education, education, education. I mean, I'm in a case now, uh, a guy fell off a scaffold, settled for $16 million. Very good plaintiff attorney, very well known in New York. 
no concept that there's a future Medicare issue. And nothing has been done yet. The case is settled. And the way we're going to do the settlement documents is that we will carve off a piece of the annuity and carve off a piece of the settlement dollar for the Medicare set-aside once that piece is resolved. But, but do you run into concerns that you may not allocate for the allocation sufficient dollars? We're seeing some cases come back now where CMS is doing a reallocation of what we thought was going to be the magic number mm-hmm. to satisfy them. Are you, if there's an overfunding, if you've been too generous, how does that money get dispersed? Fund, I'm not going to fund it until CMS gives us the allocation. Okay. But now I'm going to have the documents allow for the movement of assets from one trust into a uh, Medicare set-aside. Okay. So there'll be no closure on the case until they sign off? That's right. Okay. Now, Patty, I know that there's some concerns down your way that plaintiff attorneys are seeing Social Security hold up a settlement and they're not getting their money in a timely process, i.e. their fees. Is that a big problem down there? Well, you're asking me that question, and I wish I could answer it in a better, I don't want to just punt. Uh, we're seeing there is some, sl- it's, it's slowing down. But uh, my role is a consultant to the personal injury attorney, so I'd, I'd rather not speak for the personal injury attorney. I think Jay is, uh, does some litigation, and he may have some better insight into that. But in Texas, we're having difficulties getting responses from Medicare, but as far as set-aside trusts are, uh, I, can't, I can't speak to that issue if that's causing a problem. Well, you know, NASTA has been very proactive recommending areas of improvement, uh, especially in its 2006 policy statement. And so what, what I want to do now is look at some of these key NASTA points, and then we can comment on them. So let's look at them. Uh, number one, one of the areas of improvement is as follows. CMS should abandon its practice of relying on informal memoranda to govern policy and practice and create clear formal guidance. And that sounds like a logical way to go, Tom. What's well, I, I think thought? that that's going to be addressed by the incoming president, J.P. Steele, in a meeting that we're setting up in Washington for, I believe it's June 12th is the date we're locking in on, to say we will love to resolve all these issues, but we have to have a defined plan as to what we have to address. And once they can give us those guide rules, the structured annuity is so malleable that we can bend it and make it work for any situation. Another suggestion is that CMS should replace its inefficient and administratively cumbersome submission for approval process with an assumption of compliance process to help mitigate the amount of unreasonable and expensive delays. Uh, And on and on and on. Jay, what do you think about uh, trying to create uh, a process that's a lot quicker. It'd be great to do it. I don't think it's going to work. Really? Well, why? Tell Just us why. Just because we're dealing with bureaucracy? Yeah, you're dealing with bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. You can't assume that the plaintiff attorney is going to do the right allocation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be to their benefit not to. I mean, we had the same problem on the Medicaid side and the Medicaid lien side. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can Medicaid lien um, in a case vis-a-vis if you allocate a certain amount to medical needs and the rest of pain and suffering? Well, going back to something Patty said earlier about the education process, if we can get this forum with CMS and Dr. McClellan, we can tell them or maybe explain to them what are the problems within their system without being critical and just say these are some ways that you might be able to remediate this process and see if we can get him to answer questions because it will come down in a circular letter 
to say this is how we're going to do things in the future. So if we can put that case in proper perspective and we've identified one of Ray's cases that we'd like to take up there, we may be able to answer some of these questions. I don't know if we'll get all of them answered, but it may be the first step. You know, in a related area, the U.S. Supreme Court just came down with a case mm-hmm. called the Elbaum decision, which had to do with the Medicaid lien. For instance, in New York, Medicaid can lien 100% of the lawsuit for whatever Medicaid expended mm-hmm. and no allocation. That's the way our court of appeals came down. Is this the Arkansas case that you're That's referencing That's the Arkansas now? case, exactly, exactly. The way the Supreme Court came down is to say that Medicaid can only have their indemnification and subrogation from that piece of the settlement, which is allocated towards medical. Now, whether there will be a parallel that we can argue with CMS between the Elbaum case in the Medicaid side and the Medicare prospectively that they have to follow an allocation because the Elbaum case is really the allocation that the parties have done. Right, but now who will do that allocation? I think that's the issue that's up in the air in Arkansas, is that eventually it may be the state trying to make that allocation. I think in New York what happened, I think the New York Court of Appeals didn't want to get bothered, and that's why they said 100% of the case. It will become a litigated issue in each case, potentially, where Medicaid in New York is going to be noticed, and they would have to come in as a third party to fight the allocation. Interesting, interesting stuff. And, and obviously very complex in a federal system to make it all work. The other recommendations from NASTA all have to do with, uh, you know, getting reliable guidance from CMS. And, and coupled with Patty's ad- admonition for education, we, we try to admonish CMS to give us better guidance. So we're looking for education and guidance all the way through this process. So, well, uh, I think one of the things is, is, is I found that if you create a relationship th- in within the uh, governmental agency, and that's how we were able to resolve the issue in Texas, is the attorneys have a relationship with the Health and Human Services. At least it's a talking relationship. Certainly the Health and Human Services is going to uh, follow the law the way they, they believe it's written, and I may not always agree with the way they interpret it. We do have an open dialogue. If that open dialogue can be created with CMS as well, then you're going to have uh, hopefully a better resolution. I second what Patty said. Mm -hmm. And also the July 2005 memorandum that CMS did on uh, Medicare Mm set-asides was really, as I understand, a response to a number of the Q&As they had. Yes. Uh, Because I know some of my Q&As got included in that. And uh, so... It may not be a formal way to put out a memo, but at least it's an informal notice to us of what the policy is. And that's the intent that we're going to, to use or to get them to give us some definition on a Q&A on slowing or speeding up the process of getting approval. What do they need? And we can do a checklist to get it down and get it out to them. Mm-hmm. Terrific. All right, well, let's take a short break right now so we can... Uh, Hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back uh, with more on this very interesting topic. We'll be right back.
Bring the Radio at the NASTA meeting in Puerto Rico. Don't miss all of our shows here, including an exclusive interview with U.S. Congressman Charles Rangel. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, is proud to be broadcasting from the NASTA annual meeting in Puerto Rico. Listen to all of our shows. All right. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm glad you could join us again today. We're talking uh, here at the NASTA convention in beautiful Puerto Rico, and we're speaking on the issue of structured settlements, SSI and CMS, and we have uh, certainly a great group here with us today. You know, Tom, uh, one of the uh, NASTA board members, uh, John McCullough, had recently sent a letter out uh, trying to confirm and, and clarify this whole area and issue. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight? Well, I think that uh, we touched on this back in uh, the um, January meeting in regional down in Phoenix, is that uh, through the efforts of Patty and Jay, we wanted to get something out definitively saying how the issues in Texas were resolved favorably to our position and that we could alert all state Medicaid agencies. John authored a letter that was sent out on April 4th of this year and basically says that, uh, as Jay indicated earlier today in his presentation, that if we put the trust together properly, the income flowing to the trust will not be deemed income to the recipient and not take away any of the benefits Mm -hmm. or any entitlements that they would have. Uh, the letter is very well written, and it's a one-page letter, which I think bodes well for the industry of saying we can get through one page without getting mired down, and it hits all of the salient points. Well, I think we'll put that letter on the Ringler website, and uh, I think uh, the general public, and if they want to, if they want to really get into the detail, they can see it and read it uh, for themselves. That's that an excellent be, idea. That would be great. That would be great. Well, Jay, you know, you're from uh, New York. Uh, you're one of the top experts in elder law. Uh, tell us about what's happening in the area of elder law and the lawsuits uh, surrounding uh, tort reform and all the issues that uh, can impact on the elderly. That's a three-hour lecture. <laughs> well, we have about five hours here, so let's Good. go. Good. Let me start with one other thing, if you don't mind, Benny, sure. a little. Because sure. we've been using different terms. Sure. We've been doing SSI. We've been talking about Medicare. And just let's define the terms. SSI is Supplemental Security Income. Mm-hmm. Somebody becomes eligible, potentially, for SSI when they are low asset, meaning below $2,000 in assets, and have an income level of around below $670. If you receive money, you lose SSI. If you get SSI, then you automatically have Medicaid. Medicaid follows SSI. And then you have, that has nothing to do with Medicare. Then you have SSD. Social Security Disability. Social Security Disability, I get the question all the time, is neither income nor asset-based. Somebody receives funds in a settlement that will not impact upon the Social Security Disability. It merely means 
that by definition they are unable to engage in gainful employment. They had worked in the past, they put their quarters in in the past, and now are receiving, because they are unable to engage in gainful employment, Social Security Disability. Once you have Social Security Disability, and if the attorney asks the question, not are you getting some checks from the Social Security Administration, but what those checks are, then you know the game that you're in. If you're in SSD, you can anticipate the person is either receiving or shortly will receive Medicare. And now we're into the MSA time. No, but I think what's happened is that so many plaintiff's attorneys and defense attorneys, they start using these terms interchangeably without a proper definition. And they're just adding more confusion to the process. We get the question all the time, will there be an offset of this SSD? And uh, you know, the question is no. The answer is no, no offset for SSD. But if it's SSI, you're going to, be, uh, you know, you're going to have a chance to lose that when you have an asset-sensitive, asset-sensitive benefit like And every that. once in a while, I'll get the question, you know, I, I don't want to lose my SSI benefit. Well, that's a minuscule benefit. If we're going to be replacing it with a settlement... Why would you want to continue to get it? That's an excellent, excellent point. You know? And the other thing is, depending on what state you're in, you can lose your SSI and still keep your Medicaid. Correct. And the dollars, the big dollars, when you have a settlement, your big benefit is the Medicaid benefit, where you're picking up the cheaper Medicaid dollars of service, cost of service. And that's really what you want to retain. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so if you're into SSD, you're into an MSA. If you're into SSI, you're into SNT. And what if you're into both? That's when we pick up the phone and call you, Jim. Right. <laughs> and that's one of my Q&As to the Social Security Administration, right. to, to CMS, where you are going to start having a combined trust, which will be an MSA, Medicare Set-Aside, slash Special Needs Trust. And in certain cases, you're going to have... That amount set aside for your Medicare in a special needs trust and then another special needs trust. It's a wild area out there. Sounds like the Barbara um, Sangerman Insurance Fund. It is. Yeah. And uh, Barbara Sangerman, for those who don't know it, is my wife who runs my office and uh, does a charming job of it. But um, this as far this as leads def- right to something Patty said earlier, is that the issue that you both addressed in Texas and resolved was on this small town issue that you used your expertise and your familiarity with counsel based on something that Jay brought to the table. So it's the education process just continuing and the networking that we're all starting to do. Well, and I think that uh, while I go to lots of continuing legal education seminars, sometimes it's almost... We, we keep telling ourselves the same thing over and over again, and we need to cross over to these kinds of associations uh, and, and hear your perspective so that we don't miss something. Uh, there is, uh, uh, you're talking about the MSA, the Medicare Set-Aside Trust, and I'll tell you, in Texas, I don't know if you're aware, but there appears to be maybe a little difference in reg- the way Social Security administers regional uh, rules. And so what uh, might be the rule in, in the eastern part of the United States may not be the rule out of the Dallas region. 
And so uh, in Texas, we've been telling people, if you have SSD and you're getting a personal injury award, don't wor- and, and, and it's not a worker's comp issue, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And, and then I'm talking to the regional director, and the regional director is telling me, oh, it is a big deal, Patty. Even in a tort settlement, you need to be setting aside funds, even though there's not one rule out there giving you any instruction, even though the agency has told me that they wouldn't approve or disprove anything that we send to them. And so we're in this quandary now. Do we do Medicare set-asides for tort cases? I've been told time and again by CMS in Baltimore that it's their opinion that it applies to tort as it does to a worker's That's comp. That's exactly what I've I was I've also told. been told that because of their workload, just like they don't review low-asset cases, they don't review the liability cases. However, third, I was told that they recently did a memo to all the district, uh, Medicare districts and told them that in a large settlement case, if the attorney asked to, for them to review the amount to set aside, that they should review it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the one consistent thing that you and I have both heard. We're getting East Coast, West Coast saying, do your allocation and we'll let you know that we've reviewed it. The problem comes is that there's no sign-off. That's right. And that's, that's the problem that you're seeing. And how will people go forward if they make an allocation? No one said that it's good or bad. Five years down the road, does someone come in and assert a lien? Yeah. And it's holding up settlements, and uh, insurance carriers all over the country are, are becoming uh, very, very frustrated by the process. So once again, we've got issues of education. We, we want guidance, and uh, that's one of the reasons we have uh, multiple shows on this subject because the f- the fluidity of the of the laws and and the guidance keep changing. As far as what you asked me before, if I may, yeah, the, deficit, the, elder? the deficit reduction act. Oh, okay. Uh, which affects elder law, affects Medicaid. Um, nobody knows what it means. We're waiting to see. Uh, there are cases out there that are in federal court saying it was unconstitutional the way it was passed. Uh, I've talked to local Medicaid districts uh, that are enacting using it at all as of yet. Nobody really knows. There is an annuity section in that which can be misconstrued. That annuity section has to do with asset transfers. It has to do with Medicaid eligibility where somebody buys an annuity in order to become eligible for Medicaid. It was an old way that some elder law attorneys planned. They bought an annuity beyond somebody's life expectancy, put them onto Medicaid, and then the children got the money. Mm-hmm. And all that the Deficit Reduction Act says is, if you're going to do that, that's okay, but we have the remainder interest in that annuity right. up to the amount that we expended. That has nothing to do with uh, S&Ts. It has nothing to do with structured settlements. Mm-hmm. You it's say purely it has nothing to do with structured settlements, but I'm going to tell you that in the state of Texas, an annuity is an annuity is an annuity, and this is the fight we've been fighting in the education process. I've always thought the Alamo was done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, on that, on that, on that thought, we have, we have the old New York-Texas uh, you know, battle here. 
But on that thought, I think we, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's uh, been here today. It's been a tremendous uh, show. Uh, Jay, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, my telephone number is 212-922-0711. And better than that is my website. Sure. Which is www.sangerman.com. Or the third way is through a regular person. Terrific. And Patty, how about yourself? How do we get in touch? My phone number is 210-224-4491. Go to the National NALA website, www.naela. That's the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, naela.com. And you can find a NALA attorney close to you, or you can find me in San Antonio, Texas. Tom, how about yourself? You can reach me at area code 212-609-2506 or on the Ringler website, www.ringler.com. You can hear all the Ringler radio shows on ringlerassociate.com or legaltalknetwork.com. You can reach me at 978-974-9922. And to Ray Blanchfield, we hope you'll soon be coming out of that tunnel. Now go ahead and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity. 